0: Today on The Matt Wall Show, a viral video reveals again that our once-great American cities have turned into something out of a horror movie. The question is why and how this happened. I'll give my answer, my theory today. Also, five headlines including good news about COVID and its effect on children, that the CDC and the media is trying to dress up as bad news, of course. And the CEO of a video game developing company uh, comes out as pro-life and then pays the expected consequences. Plus, Joe Biden changes his mind about when life begins and a female sports reporter claims that she was groped by fans, groped, while reporting on a football game. But uh, the video shows something different. We'll play that today. All of that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Now, One of the most difficult and frustrating things about being a conservative in the culture today is that all of these companies that you're giving money to every single day, most of them hate your guts and uh, you know they, they want to cancel, they want to censor you for your beliefs, but you're still giving them, giving them your money. And that's why it's so important when you find a company that supports you and your values to support them in return. And that's what Charity Mobile is all about. They're the pro-life phone company uh, because 5% of your monthly plan price goes to a pro-family, pro, uh, pro-life charity of your choice. Other mobile service providers are at best neutral when it comes to family and life issues. Uh, many of them, again, are diametrically opposed to you, but that's not the case with Charity Mobile. They're all about supporting you in the culture. They also have great, great service they're supporting you with as well. Uh, they've got 5G phones, which are available. They have excellent coverage with nationwide service on America's most reliable network. New activations, and eligible accounts, get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping when you mention offer code Walsh. So you want to do that right now, switch to Charity Mobile and support a company and causes that you care about. Call them at one 474 3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh. As we have been focused on the trials and tribulations of Afghans over the past uh, several weeks, not to mention the past several decades, past couple of decades at least, it might be easy to lose track of the fact that our own civilization is falling apart at the seams. There's a viral video which... Uh, Picked up steam after it was reposted by Jack Posobiec, which gives us a startling glimpse into what our cultural collapse actually looks like. In fact, if you didn't know any better, and you look at this video, you would think that that it's from not from America at all, but from some kind of third-world hellhole, or else maybe from a Hollywood soundstage where they're filming another zombie apocalypse movie. But tragically, the zombie-infested third-world wasteland that you can see in the video is called Philadelphia. Trash and debris littering the streets, homeless laying all over the sidewalk, people wandering around hunched over in drugged out stupors. It's a a vision of horror and desperation and gloom. Now this I believe is Kensington Avenue in Philadelphia. It's the poorest, most violent part of one of the poorest and most violent cities in America. The violent crime rate around Kensington is 328 violent crimes per 10,000 residents. Now for comparison's sake, the violent crime rate for the whole nation is 366 per 100,000. And people who live in Philadelphia and are familiar with this area, they'll tell you that um, what you can see in the video is, uh, is what that area and much of the rest of the city looks like all the time, every day, 24-7. This is it. This is an American city. Philadelphia. Again, a once great city. One of our greatest, historically speaking. Now, Philadelphia may be especially bad, but it's not even the worst. And even the cities that are a little better are yet still horror shows in their own right. But what you see on Kensington can be seen to a degree slightly better or worse in every major U.S. city. In fact, in our travels last week, we visited visited several major cities that looked something like this. We're we're told that our cities have turned into these dirty, horrifying, crime-ridden cesspools because of drugs. And certainly the drug epidemic is one of the most prominent, most immediate causes. Just to give you an idea of the scope and severity of the drug problem, I can tell you that drug overdose deaths have quadrupled since 1999. And it's not like the rate was especially low in 1999 to begin with. Over the course of those two decades, nearly one million people, one million, have died from overdoses. Sadly, one of the most recent in that line is the brilliant actor Michael K. Williams, who portrayed Omar on The Wire... Um, about another decaying city, Baltimore. He was found dead of an apparent heroin overdose this weekend. And these are just overdose deaths we're talking about. This doesn't, this doesn't account for all of the many millions of lives that have been, if not technically, ended by drugs, still completely de- destroyed by them. And families as well. So why is this happening? I think many answers might be given. Some of them political. All of these drugged-out slums are run by Democrats. That's not a coincidence. But then how did Democrats manage to seize control in the first place? And why do people keep voting for them in these cities? I mean, you could, if you're in Kensington, you could look around and say, it literally can't be worse. I mean, this is as bad as a city can get. Why would I keep voting for the people who made it this way? Or at the very least were in charge while it became this way. Now you might also point to the collapse of the family. Which is a a factor. Yeah, but why did the family collapse? You might approach this from the economic angle and connect it to poverty and unemployment. Yeah, but why are so many people in these cities unemployed? Especially when there are, at present, there are 10 million jobs available. So I, I think all of these are pieces of the puzzle. Symptoms of the underlying disease, but they are not themselves the underlying disease. And then what happens when we use a wider lens and we consider our decaying cities within a broader cultural context. How does everything else fit into this picture? What about the skyrocketing numbers of people who've grown dependent on legal drugs prescribed to them by doctors, especially psychiatric drugs? What about the enormously high rates of depression, anxiety? What about our experiences with with COVID? All of these millions of people in America and across Western civilization who've been eager to give up their liberty for the tenuous promise of safety. People who even after being vaccinated still won't leave the house without a mask. Speaking of my own experience in cities over the past week and, um, and over the past year, I'm not sure if I'm more depressed by the sight of the homeless encampments or the wealthy people in designer clothing walking down the street outside with masks on. And you know every single one of them are vaccinated. So why is all that happening? Is that another piece of the puzzle? And then what about the identity crisis gripping our culture, especially among kids? We've forgotten what the words man and woman mean. We we look for, for meaning in these new and increasingly bizarre, redundant, and contrived gender labels. Meanwhile, we, again, especially kids, spend most of our days staring at screens, consuming up to 10 hours of media a day or more. The list of woes goes on and on, and there's probably no reason to keep listing them. But it's important to look at all these problems altogether, because I would suggest... That underneath all of this, there is a common root system. And the root system is despair. We are gripped in our society by a crisis, an epidemic of despair. We, speaking in general terms, we've lost our sense of meaning and purpose, which is what it means to be in despair. When you have no collective sense of meaning or purpose, then your whole civilization becomes like one of those druggies on Kensington, just ambling around, hunched over moaning and babbling to itself, nowhere to go, nothing to do, no sense that there's any real reason to exist in the first place. Now, it wasn't always like this in Western civilization. We, we weren't perfect in the past, to put it mildly. We had our flaws and there were very deep flaws, as any human civilization has flaws, because it is a civilization of humans, after all, and not of angels. But we were rooted in a common understanding and recognition of God's providence in our society we believed that we were children of God, sent here to do his will. Now, we may have fallen short of that calling, but we recognized the calling. And that calling gave us, as a civilization, a purpose, a point, a direction. But then over a period of years and through a process that we don't have time to document right now, God was removed from the picture. Now, not actually removed, of course, because you can't remove him really, but We declared all the same in Nietzsche's phrase that God is dead and that we no longer need him, that we can make our own meaning. But even Nietzsche recognized that if you're going to kill God, kick him off the throne, then you become God. And with that title, you inherit, inherit an awful lot of responsibility. Whereas God gave us purpose and meaning before, now if you're taking God out of the equation, now you need to make your own purpose and meaning. You will need to replace that God sized hole with something. But we never really bothered to figure that part of it out. We kind of staged this mutiny and killed the captain while we were out at sea, but nobody else on board knew how to navigate. We said, no, 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 the captain is taking us in the wrong direction. We don't want to go in that direction. So we took control of the ship, and instead of going in that direction, we went nowhere. We are now a society at drift. And it's up to each person to fill the hole with something. Some people choose drugs. Some people choose to waste their lives playing video games, watching Netflix. Some look for meaning in their gender identity or their critical theories of race. Everybody is grasping at the air, staggering around in circles, going nowhere. Now, you can't escape what I'm saying here by simply saying that you don't believe in God. I mean, You could listen to this and say, well, I don't believe in God, so I don't think that it is a problem. See, the thing is, whatever you believe, there's no question that Western civilization once did believe in God, and now, for the most part, it does not. There's also no question that the belief gave a sense of purpose. And there's also no question that when you remove the purpose from a person or a group, and you don't replace it with any kind of new purpose, then you will have ushered in despair and hopelessness without offering any remedy for it. A hundred years into this process, and still none of the people who've worked to remove God from the center of our cultural life have come up with anything to put into that place. That's the story of modern leftism. Destroy, but don't rebuild. Erase definitions. Don't offer new definitions. Shout, no, we don't want to go that way without saying where else we should go. And this is where we've ended up as a result. Now let's get to our five headlines. One thing we've talked about quite a bit on this show is the, uh, the struggle that business owners have been going through to hire, to find people to hire. Um, it's a real problem, and that's why if you're a business owner, if you're an employer you got to take advantage of great tools when they're available to you, like ZipRecruiter. The lockdowns of the last year and a half created a pent-up demand for places like gyms, nail salons, hotels. All of them are on an epic hiring spree to accommodate the surge of business. So where do these businesses turn to fill these roles fast? They turn to ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send your job to over 100 top job sites, and they give you access to their network of millions of job seekers. You can easily review recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. So this is a, an active thing you're doing. You're not just putting a listing out there and hoping someone stumbles across it. ZipRecruiter is going to go out and they're going to find the right employee for your job. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. That's ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. W-A-L-S-H. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. All right. So uh, real quickly, Amazon Prime tweeted out a question that I thought was a a, a very important question. What movie do you want to see the all-female reboot of? That was a question they put out on Twitter. What movie do you want to see the all-female reboot of? Now I thought about this and and really my problem with the all-female reboot is that it's not nearly progressive enough. So what I would like to see is a reboot of Goodfellas starring a cast of Transgender Pansexuals of Color, and the new title should be Good Them's. That's what I want to see. And I would actually watch that, unironically. If you're going to do the woke reboot, then really go for it. I mean, really embrace it. Though, of course, in truth, the real answer to that question, aside from uh, good them's, is, uh, is none. Uh, you know, I, like everyone else in the movie going public, have zero interest in any female re- reboots of any kind. Like Nobody actually wants to see them, but Hollywood will keep churning them out. Anyway, uh, speaking of things that nobody wants to um, really see, quick political news from California's recall election. Caitlin Jenner is polling at 1%. Now, Larry Elder is, is doing well, far and away among the Republican challengers. Far and away is, is the, uh, I mean, he is the, the challenger. All the other Republicans are far, far behind. Caitlyn Jenner, though, polling at one percent. I mean, who who could have predicted this? Besides the guy sitting at this desk right here. It's almost like I I, I you know I, I hate to say I told you so. I don't really hate to say it. In fact, I, I love saying it. So I'll say it again here. I told you so. This um this plan now th- th- this this uh, and I hope you'll you'll remember. Not that we want to hold grudges, but keep in mind. When Caitlyn Jenner first announced his candidacy uh, for for the governorship in California, remember the conservatives who filed in line behind it and said, this is brilliant. This is great. This is like the best of both worlds. We have we have our very own transgender person, our very own transgender. Look at this. The left won't know what to do. And it's in California, and and, 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 uh, and, and it will attract people on the left and people on the right. And there were some of us, like myself, who said, no, it's not going to happen. See, when you try to play the left's game as a Republican, all you end up doing is alienating your own people. So Caitlyn Jenner is not only a transgender individual— but also, as someone who, not surprisingly, is an advocate for, a vocal advocate for trans ideology, for gender ideology. So that's going to alienate almost everybody on the right. Is it going to attract people from the left? No. Because it's still, as far as they're concerned, even though what, what Caitlyn Jenner was, was advocating in his positions, especially on the gender stuff, is far left, far left. But as far as the left's concerned, they don't, they don't need to settle for some Republican. They, they get the real deal. So you're not going to attract them. You're not going to attract them, very many people on the right. And then you end up with, with this. Um, and it's this is not just about spiking the football. It's partly that. But it's also, again, remember the conservatives with, with, with audiences, with platforms, who told you that Caitlyn Jenner candidacy was a great idea. Remember them. Remember their judgment. The next time they come around and say, here's a great candidate. Yeah, this is the person who thought Caitlyn Jenner would do well (laughs) in California. Speaking of California, also uh, politics. um, Gavin Newsom was uh, and and you could tell that that Larry Elder is the guy because Gavin Newsom. I don't know if he's said anything about Caitlyn Jenner at all, but he's he's not getting up in front of audiences and blasting away at Caitlyn Jenner. He's not worried about Caitlyn Jenner. He is worried about Larry Elder. So here he is attacking Larry Elder a couple days ago. And also coming forward with some, this is pure, this is like pandering on steroids, but let's listen to this. The idea that we have someone on the other side of this ballot that could be sworn in in a matter of weeks that not only doesn't believe a woman has the right to choose, not only doesn't believe, as the senator said, women are as smart as men. By the way, I don't know if you've seen Senator Warren cross-examine folks on Wall Street. (laughs) Apparently, Larry Elder has not. Women are smarter in politics, smarter in civics. They're smarter in economics. Women rule Man. I really, thought, I really thought he was going to literally shout girl power. I thought that's what was coming at the end of that. They're smarter. They're better. We are but scum in comparison with them. How many women uh, actually find that kind of pandering appealing? Maybe on the left, maybe, maybe it plays, I don't know. But I would like to think that even women on the left hear that and, and, and take it for the infantilizing nonsense that it actually is. Treating women like, like children. Here's a gold, you're awesome, you're the best, you're special, here's a gold star. Uh, I, I, would, I know on, on the right, certainly women have no time for that. But uh, on the left, I, I, would, I would like to believe that even on the left, aside from the trained seals in the audience, they're clapping. Most other women would, women would hear that It's say, come on. Especially because I had to look this up while he was babbling there. Who is the lieutenant governor of California? Well, the lieutenant governor is a woman. Um, Eleni Kunalakis. I'm probably mispronouncing the name, but it doesn't matter. Lieutenant governor is a woman. And it's without fail when you hear this kind of thing. Joe Biden has said similar stuff. But almost without fail when you hear this from a politician and you look at their second in command, it's a woman. So if you really feel that way, if you actually think women are better, women women are more equipped to lead, then why aren't you stepping down and letting a woman, why don't don't you resign and let the um, lieutenant governor step in? if you really believe that. Uh, And by the way, I have no doubt, let me just say this, that I I have no doubt that almost every woman in the country is smarter and better than Gavin Newsom. So that I, you know, so this is a speak for yourself situation. That I, uh, I, I have no doubt at all. All right, here's a story that I wish I could say had a twist ending, but it doesn't. It ends exactly as you would expect. It begins with the, this is maybe the the unexpected part, the CEO of a company called Tripwire, which is a video game developer, software developer. Uh, The CEO, John Gibson, in reaction to the Texas abortion ban, tweeted this uh, a couple of days ago, and he said, saying that he was, quote, proud of the U.S. Supreme Court affirming the Texas law banning abortion for babies with a heartbeat. As an entertainer, I don't get political often, yet with so many vocal peers on the other side of the issue... I felt it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer. And so that was it. That was all he said. And, uh, you know, I saw that a couple days ago when he first tweeted it. And I thought, well, very well done. Takes a lot of guts to come out in your position and say that. But there goes your job. Your job is gone. And that's exactly what happened. Reading now from IGN, it says, Following his comments supporting the Texas anti-abortion law, Tripwire CEO John Gibson has stepped down from the company um, behind such games as Man Eater and Chivalry 2. Those are video games, I guess? Okay. Tripwire announced the news alongside confirming that uh, co-founding member and current vice president Alan Wilson will now act as interim CEO. In its statement, Tripwire shared that Gibson's views do not reflect the company as a whole and that his comments disregarded the values of our whole team, our partners, and much of our broader community. Uh, He said, quote, the comments given by John Gibson are of his own opinion and do not reflect those of Tripwire Interactive as a company. His comments disregarded the values of our whole team, our partners, and much of our broader community. Our leadership team at Tripwire are deeply sorry and are unified in our commitment to take swift action and to foster a more positive environment. They're deeply sorry that this one guy, John Gibson, has an opinion that some uh, fans of the video games this company develops you know, disagree with. Effective immediately, John Gibson has stepped down as CEO of Tripwire Interactive and uh, Alan Wilson is stepping in. Uh, Alan will work with the rest of the Tripwire leadership team to take steps with employees and partners to address their concerns, including executing a company-wide town hall meeting and promoting open dialogue with Tripwire leadership and all employees. So this is a, they're treating this as a five alarm fire. This one guy who's, yeah, the CEO of the company you would think that would offer him some protection, but it doesn't, says that, just voices his own opinion. That's it. Here's my opinion. I'm pro-life. An opinion shared by tens of millions of people across the country. And take his job. They're going to have town hall meetings. They're going to they're be talking to the employees that were traumatized by this. Uh, and th- there's an important lesson to be taken from this the lesson that if you haven't already learned this, here it is again. Uh, if you are a conservative, you are not welcome in mainstream society. It's as simple as that. No matter what your views are. Because John Gibson, his his views, again, these are, these are common views. There was, there was nothing extreme here. All he said was, yeah, I like the law, I'm pro-life. Um, not welcome at all. You know, on the left, if, if they if there's a chorus of, from the perspective of a leftist, if there's a chorus of, hundred thousand people agreeing with them, and repeating their opinions back to them, you know that doesn't matter if there's even one person in that core of the 100,000 people surrounding them saying i agree with everything you think i'll repeat your opinions back to you if there's one guy in that crowd saying something different or even just not saying anything at all not actively affirming then it's a crisis and that individual leftist is now being attacked by that one person who's not agreeing with them while everybody else is Uh, And this is an important thing to realize because we as conservatives need to let go of the delusion that we can live according to our principles and still get along well with everybody and kind of keep these aspects of our lives separate because we can't. you know you can you you're a conservative over here and these are your principles this is what you believe deeply inside your soul and then this is the rest of your life and just you know keep those in, in two nice little containers we don't need to combine them at all that that's not going to work because the left is they're they're hunting down anyone if you have that container even if you're not even if you're trying to keep it separate from the rest of your life and go about your days Putting your principles aside, the left's on a mission to find you and smoke you out. So the decision we have to make, we, there's a decision. And John Gibson made his decision. I think it was a truly courageous decision. And he's not a stupid guy. He knew what he was doing. He knew there was a very good chance he could lose his job. And yet he chose to, to stand up anyway. That is truly Courageous. As as often as that word is misused, this is a correct usage of the term. So there's a decision that we make. Um, Are we going to take that separate little container that's got our values and everything that we hold deeply uh, within ourselves? Are we just going to toss it out and say, forget this, assimilate ourselves into the larger culture? Can't beat them, might as well join them type of thing are we going to say, no, forget about the separate containers. This is who I am. This is what I believe. And I'm going to live according to it. I think that's the decision we have to make. Um, And all of us as conservatives, we we have to make that decision first. Before we can do anything else. Before we can decide what the next move is, what the next step is. All right. Um, Meanwhile, a guest on MSNBC has, as we continue to talk about the Texas abortion ban, a guest on MSNBC had a suggestion for how to deal with the Texas law. And there's been various different uh, suggestions here. And the the common thread um, is that Texas cannot be allowed to have their own laws. Forget about states' rights, doesn't matter. We can't allow them to do this. And there have been different suggestions. Here's a guy with a uh, particular, particularly dire, uh, I think, approach to this. Let's listen.
1: As horrible as this Texas law is, this year, 2021, has already seen more abortion restrictions proposed and passed than any other year in United States history. What changed between 2020 and 2021? Oh, I remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and Amy Coney Barrett got on the court. So we're, we knew this was coming. The states knew it was coming. The Republicans knew it was coming. And for us just now to be like, oh, maybe now we need a whole of government response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think like that should have already been in place. We should have known that this was coming. Look, I live in New York, OK? It is wet right now. If I was on top of my roof kind of looking for help, I would expect the cavalry to be coming directly, right? FEMA, Coast Guard, Operation Dumbo Drop. Somebody should be coming to get me. And in fact, when it happened in, in Katrina and in Katrina, the failure of the federal government to go get people was viewed as one of the biggest failures of that of George W. Bush's presidency. Similarly, we need to go and get women in Texas and protect their constitutionally protected medical rights. And the way you do that is that you deputize doctors, you federalize doctors, you create through an executive order, an army.
0: An army. So what he's talking about there, and he goes on uh, ranting and raving. I mean, this is someone, he says himself, he's, he lives in New York. And uh, he, he, he lives in New York and the idea that, that women will not be able to kill their children in Texas, the idea that, that more babies will be allowed to live, he takes, he is personally insulted by that. This is an emergency for him. We have to figure out a way to kill those babies. That's what he's saying. And his solution is Let's federalize a literal army of doctors to go into Texas and start killing babies to make sure those babies are not allowed to be born. This is, a, this is an emergency. There's urgency to it. Now he's saying there, there are thousands of unborn babies right now. If we don't kill them right now, they'll, they'll be born and then they'll share the planet with me. I, I don't want to have to share the planet with those damn disgusting babies. That's his attitude. It's hard to even wrap your mind around. If you're a normal, uh, mostly morally adjusted person, a person with some, some basic human decency within yourself, it's hard to, you almost don't want to believe that there can be people who like hate babies this much and want to kill them. And are horrified and disgusted by the thought that more babies will exist. But that's that's the case here. Goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning. People who have removed God from their lives completely. All sense of uh, objective morality and objective moral worth of human beings. They've taken that out. And these are people who are just collapsing into themselves, totally empty inside. And and their moral depravity just knows no bounds whatsoever. It's also the case for Stella Parton. She's the uh, obscure, lesser-known sister of Dolly Parton. She tweeted this. She says, don't you find it odd that women in America are being treated worse than women in Afghanistan? We wasted $2 trillion plus to go into Afghanistan to liberate their women and children. Something ain't right here, folks. Are you catching on yet? She's certainly not the only feminist to say that. Not even like it's equal, but if you're a woman, especially in Texas, and you're not allowed to kill your baby, then you, are, you have it worse than a woman in Afghanistan. A woman who can't show her face in public without being stoned to death. I'm not going to bother explaining why that's crazy because if you need to have it explained to you then there's nothing i can say in explaining it that will be able to penetrate through your insanity to make sense to you. So instead i'll say this. And I, and I, and i and i mean this sincerely. This is this is a real offer to Stella Parton or any other feminist who feels this way that you know you have it worse than any other women on earth. It's better in Afghanistan. Well, this is what I'll say to you. I will personally pay to send you to Afghanistan into the welcoming arms of the Taliban. I will pay. If you really think it's better there and you don't want to be here anymore and you're thinking grass is greener on the other side of, well, they don't have a lot of grass over there, but the the sand is browner on the other side of the fence or something, um, then I will pay to, to send you there. We'll have to figure out the logistics a little bit. You know, there aren't a lot of flights. I don't think you could like catch a Delta flight into uh, Afghanistan right now, but we'll figure out a way. Maybe this should be the next fundraising campaign. Since we couldn't get the money to uh, to AOC's Abuela, maybe we start a fundraising campaign to send women who feel like it's better in Afghanistan to, to you know, send them there. And uh, it's, it's a win-win for everybody, really, I would think. Um, also, Bette Midler had this, she said, I suggest that all women refuse to have sex with men until they're guaranteed the right to choose by Congress. But a lot of this kind of reaction to, and this is kind of interesting because for one thing, it, it you're, you're acknowledging um, the possibility of abstinence because what you're saying here is, well, you know, women, especially in Texas, if they don't, don't want to have a baby, and they, they can't tolerate the idea of getting pregnant at all. Then they then, then maybe they should just not have sex. They should be they should abstain. Well, uh, yeah. Well, now you're understanding Bette Midler exactly right. If you ca- if the idea of having a baby, if you're in a position where it's not just like you don't want to be a parent right now specifically, but just you you can't even tolerate the notion of it. Okay, if you're in a position where, or you're the sort of person who would rather kill than have a baby, then yes, you should not be having sex. You are are not the kind of person who should be having any sexual relations with anybody. You're not not in the right place for it. You're not competent enough for it. Um, You are an emotionally stunted person that you would choose murder over having a baby. So all of these things factored together, what I would say is, yeah, I agree with Bette Midler. Just pro- probably abstinence is the way to go. Of course, she means that as a threat to men, where she's saying, well, all the pro-abortion women, we're not going to have sex with men anymore. I, I got to tell you, that's I-, I-, I hear that as more of a promise than a threat. I think most men hear that and think, whew, dodged a bullet there. And I really mean that because... Um, and, and and don't take the offense to this, but but pro-abortion women, to my mind, are uh, repulsive. Uh, I find them repulsive in every sense of the word. I mean, these are these are women who have rejected all of the feminine and maternal parts of themselves, um, and I you know I think I think most men find that naturally repulsive. You know, we want women who are. Caregivers, women who care for children, loving women. You know, Those are the kinds of women that men find appealing, and um, that's not the case for pro-abortion women. So this is another kind of win-win situation, I would say. All right, one other thing here on the, uh, the abortion issue. Joe Biden, a couple days ago, talking about when life begins... Uh, He said that, uh, you know, he acknowledges that some people think that life begins at conception, but he doesn't agree with that. And that's sort of interesting, considering something that he said a few years ago. But let's play this clip first. I have been, continue to be
2: a strong supporter of Roe v. Wade. Number one. And uh, the most pernicious thing about the Texas law, it sort of creates a vigilante system where people get rewards to go out to anyway. And it just seems I know this sounds ridiculous, almost un American, what we're talking about. Not to debate about I under I respect people who think that who don't support Roe v. Wade. I respect their views. I respect them, they, those who believe life begins at the moment of conception and all I, I respect that. Don't agree, but I respect that. I'm not going to impose that on people. But what I was told, and I must tell you, I am not certain. I was told that there are possibilities within the existing law to have the Justice Department look and see whether are there things that can be done that can limit the independent action of individuals in enforcing a federal system, a a state law. I don't know enough to give you an answer yet. I've asked that to be checked. Okay,
0: so— he uh, respects, he allegedly respects people who don't support Roe v. Wade. And yet, you know, if, if uh, the people of Texas vote in a government that is pro-life and they want to have pro-life laws, Joe Biden wants to stop that from happening. That's how much he respects pro-life people. He also wants to force you to fund the abortion industry, which we all do, 500, to the tune of $500 million a year funding Planned Parenthood. That's how much he respects your views. I respect your views, he's saying, but I don't think you should be allowed to legislate according to those views or elect people who will legislate according to those views. And also, I want to force you to, I want to take your money and uh, and, and force you to fund the abortion industry. That's how much I respect your views. Great. But he says he doesn't agree. He doesn't think the life begins at conception. And that's interesting because only about five years ago, he was singing a very different tune. Let's watch.
2: I'm prepared to accept de fide doctrine on a whole range of issues as a Catholic. Um, even though, as you know, uh, Aquinas argued about, in summa-theologic, about human life and being when it occurs, I'm prepared to accept as a matter of faith, my wife and I and my family, the issue of, 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 of abortion. But what I'm not prepared to do is impose a rigid view precise view, rigid sounds uh, pejorative, a precise view that is born out of my faith on other people who are equally God-fearing, equally as committed to life, equally as committed to uh, the sanctity of life. And uh, I'm prepared to accept that the moment of conception is human life and being. But I'm I'm not prepared to say that to... Other god fearing non god fearing people that have a different
0: view. So many problems there before we get to the main problem, the main contradiction. But the claim that pro-abortion Christians are equally as God-fearing and equally as committed to to the sanctity of life. Well, that doesn't make any sense to begin with because pro-abortion Christians is a non-existent category. You can't really be a pro-abortion Christian. You especially cannot be a pro-abortion Catholic. You can't. He's not a Catholic. And I can say that. Because uh, to be a Catholic means to begin with, at a minimum, accepting the moral authority of the church. If you don't, and you don't have to accept the moral authority of the church, uh, no one is forced to legally in this country. But if you don't, then you're not a Catholic. I mean, there's a lot of other things you can be, but you're not a Catholic. But aside from all that, he says that he's, he's prepared to accept that life begins at conception. He was prepared to accept it five, six years ago. Apparently, he's not prepared anymore. And, and even, even five, six years ago, he says, I don't want to impose that a precise view on people. Yet, he is willing to impose the belief that life does not begin at conception on people. By, again, forcing them to fund the abortion industry and other ways as well. So this is this is someone who, as we know about Joe Biden, this is the defining characteristic of him. And it's not only be, it's, it's not just now that he has dementia and he's confused and he, you know, he contradicts himself all the time. Uh, dementia has certainly not made it any better, but he's always been this way. It's a, a man with with no principles at all. A totally empty, hollowed out person who will say whatever he needs to say in the moment. And that's it. Like so many other politicians. But Joe Biden is obviously no exception to that. And yet, if I were to take him, you know, his most recent statement on the, the When Life Begins, his real answer to that, by the way, is I don't care. That's his real answer. And that's why he said different things on the subject, because he, says he doesn't think about it, he doesn't care makes no difference to him but if i was prepared to accept what his most recent statement and to believe that it's what he really what he really believes which is that life does not begin at conception or he doesn't he doesn't think that it does well even then you know that still would not be an argument for for abortion Because what you can't, you know, you you cannot say that life definitively does not begin at conception. Because you'll notice the people who say that life doesn't begin at conception, they don't point, they're not willing to point to any other time in the uh, baby's development and say, well, that's when life begins. Except at birth. And they don't even say it then because they know that doesn't make any, they know they can't claim that life begins at birth. That the baby a second before being born isn't alive. They they know they can't say that. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, So they won't exactly say that most of the time. They'll say, no, I don't think it begins at conception. Well, when does it begin? They won't, they, they certainly don't want heartbeat. They're not gonna accept that. They just want it to be one, here's what they want. They want it to be one big gray area. Well, who knows? So, if it is, let's say it is a gray area, which I don't think it is. I think life is a particular thing. It has to begin at some point. And it only makes logical sense to say that you began to live at the moment when you came into existence as a distinct and separate being. That's That's the only thing that makes any logical sense as well as scientific sense. But even if I were to agree that this that it's a, a gray area, that wouldn't justify abortion at all. Because then what you're saying is, well, it's possible. I mean, there's a very real possibility that the um, the quote unquote fetuses we're killing are alive, that they're that they're living persons, but let's kill them anyway. And that is not a morally justifiable position. You know what that's like. That's like. Firing a gun into a dark room. You, know, well, you don't know if there's anybody in there. You have no idea. You just, you just open the door, dark room. You don't know if there's anybody in there. And if there is anyone in there, you don't know where they are. And you just fire, fire a shot into the room. And I ask you, if you were to do that, and you don't know, maybe you might even think that, well, there's nobody in the room. There could be, but I don't think so. If you were to do that and you shot and killed someone, should you be held morally responsible for that? Well, yeah, of course. Because you knew there was a very real possibility that there was a person in that room and you fired the gun anyway. So the the, 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 the furthest that the pro-abortion position on When Life Begins can take us is, is it, all it can do, rather than giving us a definitive date for when life begins. It's just the gray area. Which means, even according to their own logic, the babies that are being killed in abortion could very well be living persons that you're killing anyway. If you're looking at at something, a, a, a being, an entity, and you're not sure if it's a living person or not, but it could be, then I think the best thing is to not kill it. That would have be been my position. All right. Moving on now to reading the YouTube comments. We didn't have a show on Friday. So instead, I'm going to read some of the comments from um, our very exciting video, which we posted on uh, Monday, the Sweet Baby Gang Anthem Contest. And uh, that, that went up. And I, I, yeah, I, I thought it was a great experience. If you haven't watched it yet, yeah, go to YouTube and check out the Sweet Baby Gang Anthem, all the different, uh, there, were, there were five contestants. I thought they were all tremendous and we're going to announce the winner here soon. But let me read some of the comments from that because we didn't have a show. So even if we did have a show, these are the comments I would be reading because it's much more important than the show. Samantha says, you could feel Ben's discomfort whenever Michael called Matt daddy. Well, that is, that is my title. And frankly, I was a little bit upset that, um, that no one else has agreed to call me daddy. I mean, that's, I'm Sweet Daddy Walsh. That's my official title. That's what I identify as. I expect it to be respected. Sam says, "I love how uh, how much Michael's enjoying this and how much Andrew looks like he loathes being there." I enjoyed. I really enjoyed that too. Um, Z Zevon says, "Love how they made this as cheesy and cringy as possible intentionally, and somehow Knowles managed to keep a straight face the whole time." I feel like the producers at Daily Wire are wild, cheesy and cringy. You thought the Sweet Baby Gang contest was cheesy and cringy? That sacred and solemn undertaking to decide on the Sweet Baby Gang anthem, you saw that and thought, oh, this is cheesy and cringy. Well, you, sir, are banned from the show and evicted from the Sweet Baby Gang. Eric says that was by far the best thing the Daily Wire has ever produced. Though Ben and Drew could have been more respectful to Sweet Daddy Walsh, this was historic. Uh, game show host does fit Knowles perfectly. I agree with you. I, I think it was, I think. Um, I don't want to overstep my bounds, you know, and I haven't been at the Daily Wire since its inception, but I think that this was our towering achievement as a company. We could close the doors today and we will have uh, done everything that, that we needed to do, I believe. Um, Kayla says, I'm so impressed by all these finalists. I can't even be mad I wasn't a finalist when compared to this talent. Matt should really be honored and impressed by all of the effort of his sweet baby gang. I was, I was very honored by it. And that's why if you watched uh, the video, you know that I I came to your defense, the Sweet Babies, as you were being ruthlessly and viciously attacked by both Drew and Ben. I I was there and I defended. I will always defend my Sweet Babies. And finally, uh, I've never seen Walsh smile so much and it's great. He finally is getting the recognition he deserves and starting a cult. You know what? I think you're right about that. I I, I read that comment and I thought, well, this isn't a cult. What are you talking about? And I almost banned you from the show and evicted you from the Sweet Baby Gang. But then I realized I, I think you're right. I think it is kind of a cult, and I I, I am ready now. This is my next career move. Because it is a question. My wife has even asked me many times, "What the hell is this? Why are you doing this? This is creepy. What's the point?" And I haven't really been able to explain it, uh, except to tell her that she's not welcome in the Sweet Baby Gang if that's how she feels about it. But I think this is what this is what I'll explain to her. You know what? I really I'm I'm at the point in my career where I'm ready to start a cult and um, and become a cult leader and. That's what this is. That's, that's what this will, will turn into. So that's pretty exciting. You know, the great organization, 40 Days for Life, pro-life organization, they've been, uh, they have been working for years and decades and had tremendous success um, in converting hearts and minds to the pro-life cause. But they just came out with a book that uh, there couldn't be a better time for it, given everything happening right now in the country and in Texas especially. The book is What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion, this book is an easy read for individuals looking to defend life and convert hearts you know you encounter all these arguments and sometimes there there are so many like rapid fire that pro-abortion people can throw at you all these different arguments and you know you know the arguments are bad but um it can be hard to figure out how to sift through it and what to respond and what to say and that's what this book is all about a lot has changed since abortion was legalized in 1973 what to say when equips readers with proven approaches to dismantling the pro-abortion agenda these methods have already enabled 40, day, 40 Days for Life members to convert the hearts of 221 abortion workers. So you know it works. Uh, so you got to pick up this book, What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion. Get free shipping and 21% off a signed hardback at 40daysforlife.com slash when. Also, you know, it's never been more important to understand what's going on in the political sphere, and that's why we started our new podcast, Morning Wire. The daily morning show is dedicated to bringing you all the news you need to know without any spin or hidden agenda. It's the only daily podcast that values your time and the truth. And while we're working overtime to make sure that we get this news to you, we need your help to make sure that more people uh, get access to Morning Wire and find out about it. So subscribe today and listen now and also leave that five-star review if you like what you hear. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today, I'm very excited, actually, to cancel a woman by the name of Lindsay Goh. This, I believe, is one of the most highly deserved cancellations we've done in several weeks, though, of course, they're all highly deserved. Our friend Lindsay is a sports reporter and also the sports director over at WTOC in Georgia. Now, to be a sports reporter in Georgia, you have to know and love college football because your audience knows and loves college football. And part of loving college football is loving the atmosphere, the experience. Now, it's not for everybody, certainly. The game of football is fast and violent and intense and uh, sometimes brutal. The experience of watching the game live in the stadium, especially a college stadium, is loud and rowdy and soaked in beer with people screaming out of anger and out of joy, often switching between the two from second to second. As a football fan myself, this all sounds like a tremendous amount of fun to me. But as I said, it's not for everybody. And I'm afraid it's not for Lindsey. So on Saturday night, um, Georgia defeated Clemson at home in a hard-fought victory, Lindsay was reporting at the stadium and decided to set up for a live shot right at the exits as 90,000 drunk and deliriously excited football fans were filing out. She chose to set up her cameras in the midst of this swarm and then was less than pleased with the results. Later that night, she tweeted, got all kinds of violated during my first live hit by fans. She also claimed that she'd been groped, quote unquote. And she said after that that the experience was uh, that she was uh, stressed by the experience and startled and, quote, frazzled. But courageously, she assured the public that she was okay. Then the next day, as the nation waited with bated breath for an update from Lindsay, who was stressed and frazzled at the football game, she finally released the footage. Now, it's up to the eye of the beholder or the beer holder, as the case may be, to decide whether Lindsay was in fact groped and violated, or whether she was simply greeted with the kind of boozy enthusiasm that literally anyone standing in front of a camera in that situation would have experienced, and that's up to you to decide. But uh, let's watch the footage here. Here it is.
1: Hello.
2: Please don't touch me. Excuse you.
0: You, but I'm moving. Okay, you know, my, my only problem watching that is all the people who uh you know they got their time in the sun, they got their time on camera, and then they kind of froze and they had nothing to say. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna intrude into the shot, I, I respect it because again, we're at a you're at a football game, that's what you do. But you should have something to say. A couple of people, they they kind of stuck their head into the shot and like didn't they couldn't think of anything to say, so they just walked away. Um, now, as far as I could tell, only one person made physical contact with her by touching her on the shoulder. And and as I always tell, I tell my kids all the time, you got to keep your hands to yourself. It is impolite to touch somebody on the shoulder like that when they don't want to be touched. But, um, does that qualify as groping now? Has a person been violated because another person made non-consensual contact with their shoulder for 10 seconds or two seconds, really? If so, then we have all been groped. We have all been groped and violated thousands of times in our lives. And meanwhile, the the stories of women who have actually been groped and violated are buried somewhere under this avalanche of brief, benign, non-sexual, incidental physical contact between human beings. As for the rest of it, Lindsay was encountering what, again, anybody who has set up any kind of camera outside of any college or professional sporting event has encountered. The crazy thing is you can see in her face from the beginning that she has no patience for any noise at all. She doesn't appear to want to be there to begin with. And as soon as people start walking past, she's fuming mad. But but she's the one who set up the camera exactly where thousands of people will be walking. This is like a guy from the Weather Channel reporting live from the beach during a hurricane and whining the whole time because his hair is getting wet. It's like if I tried to make a phone call while sitting in the stands at a NASCAR race. Like, uh, hang on a second. Hey, fellas, can you pump the brakes for a minute? I'm trying to have a conversation here. Of course, that's that's not to say that reporters can't or shouldn't report live from stadiums. It's just to say that they should be ready to match the volume, intensity, and exuberance of the crowd in the background. And I certainly don't want to claim that this is one of the reasons why men make better sports reporters. I don't want to claim that. So I'm not going to claim that. Instead, Instead, I'll just show you an example of how it's supposed to be done. Watch this.
3: It's been 644 days since the last time Williams-Price did not have restrictions as to how many fans could be in their stadium, but that ends tonight new chapter begins as Shane Beamer begins his new era as the head football coach at the University of South Carolina. Hello everyone and welcome to the front lots here at the University of South Carolina. I'm Mike Cuba and it is game day. Something Gamecock fans have been waiting for for quite some time and look there's a lot of storylines we can talk about. We can talk about how Shane Beamer is making his debut. We can talk about how Eric Kimry, the former Gamecock quarterback, who coached at Hamm- Last couple of years is making his debut as an assistant coach, but perhaps, perhaps the biggest storyline is the fact that you have a former grad assistant coach, Seth Nolan, playing under center tonight as the starting quarterback. Early in the week, we had a chance to be able to catch up with both Seth and Coach Beaver.
0: Wow. Now, that was Fox reporter Mike Uva, who, in fairness to Lindsay, Mike is putting on an absolute clinic in that broadcast that few sports reporters could fully match. Uh, and before you say that this was this this was different because nobody physically touched him, here he is broadcasting from a bar during March Madness a few years ago. Here's a better example. Watch this. <laughs> People are a little bit excited, you know. They're, they're they're a little excited. Covered in beer, people grabbing onto his back and his shoulders. Lindsay would be in counseling for a year after that experience. That's, that's what I, I want to see Lindsay in that environment. She would be she would break down in tears. She'd be telling stories about the trauma to her grandchildren forty years from now, and who knows how the story would evolve by then. Now I was trying to do a live shot from the bar, and and all these basketball fans with machetes and chainsaws started hacking me to pieces. Maybe not literally, but metaphorically. There are metaphorical chainsaws. Now, it wouldn't be fair to say that all female sports reporters are like Lindsay. But even so, I must say, this situation only demonstrates why I personally prefer for sports broadcasts, especially football broadcasts, to be handled mostly by men. Lindsay, though, worse than the average, even as far as female sports reporters go, is definitely not the only female to enter into this mostly male space and seek to feminize it. She wants the football stadium to be quiet and gentle, considerate, respectful of personal space. She wants it to be a more feminine environment. She's not trying to assimilate herself into the culture of football fans. She is rather hoping that they assimilate themselves to her. This is a problem across our culture. Sports just happen to be an area where the problem is especially pronounced and obvious. Females enter into areas that have typically catered and mostly belonged to men, and and then, often quite successfully, they try to to change them, to emasculate them, and thereby destroy the primary reason for their existence in the first place. This phenomenon is so far-reaching in football especially that they're even changing the rules now to make the game itself more gentle and feminine. Football is, you know, still violent, but it's less violent than it used to be. This year, they're even focusing on penalizing players' who say mean or rude things to each other on the football field. They've been doing this during the preseason in the NFL. All of this, along with the token female sideline reporters and the female analysts at halftime, it's an effort to make the game less appealing to the people the game was invented for to begin with. Now, meanwhile, it should be acknowledged, women are experiencing the same problem in the reverse. Female spaces are being invaded by men, often the most private spaces like locker rooms, for example. But but it's a different kind of invasion. Not better. It's actually worse. But it's different. Because the men invading female spaces do try to assimilate themselves, but they assimilate themselves too much. They assimilate themselves to the point of pretending to actually be women. And the effect ultimately is that women don't just lose their spaces, as men have lost ours, they also lose their identity in the process. So it's a big confused mess, all in all. And it all starts from the incorrect assumption that there is something wrong with men and women having their own spaces, their own interests, their own identities. Sports reporter Lindsay didn't create this problem, but she is just one more example of it. And for that reason, she is today, I must say, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. the show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Texas Democrats turn to the satanic temple to stop a pro-life law. California Democrats make students pray to Aztec demons. And the establishment media spread major fake news about COVID. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.